welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Rob Sayers, who is UK Capability Lead at Vive Healthcare, having performed various people development roles at GlaxoSmithKline. In this episode, we talk about how things have changed since lockdown, much to the better. But before we do, if you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us. And thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Rob, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Oh, thanks, David. Good to join you today. Rob, it will be remiss of me to not ask you how you are considering uh, <laughs> what's going on in the world. So uh, how are you and how have things been um, uh, since lockdown? Uh do you know, I feel a bit bad saying this, David, but but pretty good, actually. One of the banes of my life is is the commute up and down from the south coast up to, to London. So mm. not having done that in the last few weeks, I think from a health and well-being perspective, I'm feeling in really good shape. Um, looking forward to some normality resuming, mm. but yeah, pretty good, thanks. Pretty good. And how have things changed for you uh, since lockdown uh, professionally? Mm. So I think... I mean, I'm a, I'm a great believer that learning and development is part of the business. I think, you know, you and I have talked about this over the years, David, but I feel like very often we struggle for that seat at the table or we're seen as, um, I always sort of describe it as, you know, the smash glass in case of emergency, pull out the training function and fix a problem that, that training are there to do. So I guess what we've done and what I've noticed most significantly um, since March is learning and development being much more of a partner to the business. I think we cannot be on the periphery during this time. Um, and I think a level of acceptance actually that experimentation, helping people perform their job to the best of their ability, uh, not pretending that the world is the same and that you can do your job in the same way or that the expectations of the business or your customers or whatever, you, or whatever line of work you're in. You can't ignore the fact that we've all kind of thrown the cards up in the air or had them all thrown up in the air for the last three months. So I think L&D's role and specifically my role here at Vive Healthcare has been helping the business find their way through that fog. Um, mm. So that that's how I would describe it. I mean, muddling along a lot of the time, but I think that we learn learn most when we're muddling along, working through real life problems towards mm. real life solutions. So I think, you know, I've felt an immense step change i suppose in the business's expectations around how learning and development can support that that is interesting i'd like to come on to that um uh, shortly um but we, we're seeing uh, uh here rob you've uh, you signposted uh, march uh, of course it seemed like uh um years more than months at times didn't it that uh, that we were in mm. lockdown um mm. but what what kind of work have you been involved in in recent weeks um i've, I've spoken to other people and uh, and it's been um First of all, a, a, a real shift to helping people uh, work remotely. There's elements of, uh, of uh, mental wellness. There was the kind of uh, helping managers when they're not in the same proximity as, uh, as the people they're expected to manage. So th those kind of things have been mm. um, the norm, uh, I'd say. But um, what kind of stuff have you been working on and how did that change from before? <laughs> it was, it, it, the timing was kind of impeccably bad, if you like, that we actually went into formal lockdown. So we'd been planning for one of our regular, what we call cycle meetings. So bringing the whole team together, talking about the business, how do we need to realign practice, 
what we do best, which is kind of our sales skills in front of customers. Mm. And that was a very structured four-day uh, meeting that, that we planned for, um, which didn't happen because the week before we were due to have it, we went into lockdown. Mm. So very quickly, we repurposed that meeting. Um, so right from the very beginning, I think the focus was getting people set up for homeworking. I mean, a lot of our guys are field-based anyway, but if you take away their customer-facing duties, they all of a sudden have quite a bit more time on their hands to do some of the things that perhaps they haven't had a chance to do before. But the customers that they call on are very much frontline. So they're infectious disease consultants. Um, so they're either managing HIV or they've been taken out of HIV management to manage the COVID situation. Mm. So we did a lot in the early days about getting our sales representatives, account managers, um, but actually everybody who works for the company um, able to be set up to do their job as effectively as possible. So things like remote working, uh, workstation safety, health and well-being, we invested heavily in um, helping people adjust to juggling work and home commitments. You know, that is often quite a, a fixed line between home and work for people. But I think when people switch to work entirely from home, that line becomes more blurred or fatter, if you like. Mm. So how do we help people navigate through that, equipping people with resources to support childcare or to support juggling some of those commitments that can conflict with each other? And then over time, I suppose in the earlier days, we were, we were taking a lot of our usual work online. So a lot of our meetings became how do we kind of collaborate more effectively using platforms like Microsoft Teams. Mm. Um, and I, I suppose more latterly, we brought forward a lot of the activities that people would be expected to do in the second half of the year. We tried to bring some of those forward. Um, and we've used the time to really invest in skill and capability, helping managers have more one-to-ones, connect better with their people. Um, you know, this does mad things to people, doesn't it, being in lockdown. So somebody might be great today and sort of at their wits end tomorrow. So having really deep, meaningful conversations between managers and their teams, I think people are probably feeling more connected now than they've ever felt actually in a bizarre kind of way. So I think it's some of those soft skills that we've been helping managers develop in their teams, but really helping those managers and our IT function get people set up to be as productive as they can be. Uh, so that when some normality resumes, you know, technology is not a barrier for us. And I don't think it is. You know, we learn that very quickly. And I think most people would say it has become a real enabler mm. um, and born completely out of necessity. So uh, they're, they're some of the main areas of focus. Um, I th- it's interesting there you say that, um, that, that, that tech has been an enabler because it has required uh, a lot of organisations, and well, it's not organisations, it's people, isn't it, uh, to take a look at what they're trying to do and then use tech to help them to do it better. Whereas in the old, the previous paradigm, I can't call it the old paradigm, it's only a few months ago, uh, sometimes <laughs> we could be um, guilty of misusing tech. Um, a, a, an example would be um, that you're, you've got people dialing in to a face-to-face meeting and those poor folks are, are largely neglected. Um, it's, a, mm. it's an example where we've got fantastic technology available to us, but we're shoehorning it into the old way of doing things. And people don't really feel as if they can contribute as much as, as perhaps uh, they could. And I suppose another way of looking at this would be to use webinar technology for face-to-face training remotely. You know, you think if, if we understood the problem we're seeking to solve better, we wouldn't be mm. shoehorning very smart technology to do quite dumb things. 
Um, David Copland, I saw um, uh, speak uh, eloquently about this when he was at his time at uh, Microsoft and I was at Disney, saying that, uh, that, that the misuse of technology is the problem in the workplace. Mm. Uh, email being the perfect example. <laughs> Why on earth would you swarm people with electronic versions of letters and copy everyone in? When it's just it's just, it's a it's a complete distraction for what people are trying to do. Anyway, I digress yeah. uh, because what you mentioned there um, uh, is is kind of this lovely phrase that uh, that that um, that we discussed the last time we spoke. When you said that um, things seem to accelerate, things seem to have accelerated ten years in ten weeks. I love that phrase. Um, <laughs> what do you mean by this? What was the what's your experience of this? Do you know, I know your kind of audience are, are quite open to provocative challenge. I think that's what the role of L&D should be, David. Um, yeah. I mean, I've only been working in this field for 10 years, so I don't consider myself a master of it whatsoever. But one thing I think I have developed over the last 10 years is a complete, yeah, I'll call it now frustration, that L&D profess to try and teach people about what does learning agility mean and how can we kind of teach adult learning theory so almost talking about our profession mm. and it, and i think in some ways it makes it a witchcraft you know people yeah. actually aren't really interested in how they learn they just want to learn to be able to do their job better and i know that's a huge part of what you guys do at loop mm. um but i think what i've noticed and why i said that 10 years in 10 months is because for too long learning and development have been talking around the digital horizon is kind of galloping over the hill and we need to get with it if we're to survive in the last 10 weeks our context and the context of the organizations that i'm sure all of us serve has changed 180 degrees. Mm. So it's been turned on its head. We're not talking about a digital era that is upon us. We're talking around one that we're in. Mm. Yeah. So if you cannot adapt quickly, you cannot serve your customers in a way that's probably very different to the way we've uh, the way we've supported them in the past. I think there is a real risk of extinction. You know, learning and development. Unless you can be, be relevant, unless you can be that partner at the table unless you can help the business. And if it's getting them set up to, I don't know, use WebEx or use MS Teams or use whatever digital enabler they are, they'll cut you out. You know, They'll yeah. go straight to the IT function, say, look, how can we just get set up with this? So I think what I, what I meant by that is rather than discuss digital as this thing that's coming that you know, is almost felt optional that we can mm -hmm. make use of, by necessity, we have had to equip ourselves, use it slickly, use it actually, I think, to, to do some things quite drastically different to the way we've always done them. So my, my theory behind that 10, uh, 10 years in 10 weeks is that if you change the context in which people operate, everything else changes. Uh, you don't need to take people out of a, a, a workflow, put them in an island learning event, as I always call them, and expect them to come back and then just put into place everything they've just learned about. Mm. But I tell you what, you will get them to change everything that they've just learned about if they get back into their normal work and that normal work has changed around them. So yeah. that's true, I think, of, of everyone. Um, lo loads of, uh, of, of great stuff within there, which I, uh, which I wholeheartedly uh, agree with. Um, and part of that, and just to, to reinforce what you were saying, is that, that we have had to enter the world in which people are expected to perform and use their channels, which I think in learning and development we've been pretty poor at. Over the years, we've created uh, our uh, academies and universities online, which is 
um, some a, a place that learning and development can launch and own that other people need to go. And then we fill mm. it full of content uh, and without mm-hmm. truly understanding the context in which people are um, are performing or the unfamiliar challenge, the unfamiliar situations and challenges that they actually face, we try to provide them with everything that they could possibly know, almost creating um, a competitor to Google uh, in that sense, uh, and and you know acting in a very similar way that that um, largely content which is remiss of context and what it is that people are expected to do is accessible within this this place. But it really heartened me. I saw the there was some <laughs> Fosway um, uh, findings published recently. Um, it was called their uh, LD Impact twenty twenty. Um, and it said that mm-hmm. traditional e-learning shows signs of waning, both in adoption and perceived success, which for me has always been a way in which we we put what we do on computers and then make it available for people just in case they need it. It's all about the, mm. the, the, the scale and reach of a classroom rather than the opportunity to help people where they are with what they are trying to do. And I wonder if that's mm. what you mean, that that we've advanced in this time because, number one, the world changed. Number two, we all understood together some of the factors in that, that world changing. And number three, we had to get to where people were in this new world, which was in Slack, in Teams, on email, whatever, wherever they worked, we had to reach them there mm. because... We, could, we couldn't expect them. I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd said for years, and we had this terrible question on our engagement survey at Disney, which was, um, do you have time to learn? Right. You know, you go, no, no. Do you have time for training? Right. Which 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 within. I mean, if you had one question uh, from learning and development, you wouldn't you wouldn't ask that because, number one, what you do is you've 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 um, you've taken what it is that people need in order to get better at their job. You've ring fenced it. You've popped it in a place that's almost parallel or, or not in the work the where they actually mm. um, uh, work. And then you've asked them whether you, they've got time for that. And it's it's kind of this. Um, you've made it separate from all of the things that they are trying to do. And of course, we got battered away every time. Nobody ever had time for training. But if you had, like, have you had time in the last ten weeks to adapt to the new way in which you're working and become better at it? I mean, yeah. the answer is yes, isn't it? Well, it, it, yes, it is. It's 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 funny though that you mentioned the the employee engagement survey. I mean, we we obviously invest heavily in similar things at at Vive and at GSK. But you're right; the question sets you up for failure. So you know, does the company develop you as an individual? Whilst I don't think that's a bad question, if we ask people around, how are they supported most ably to perform at their very best? Mm. It could, they could respond in the same way, but I think, and it goes back a little bit, contradicts what I said before around using learning theory to try and teach people the witchcraft of L&D. Mm. You know, we, we all understand what we mean by 10, 20, 70 as a kind of a way of looking at how we learn. But actually, I think when you ask people out of context around development that they've had, they don't think beyond the 10. They'll think, no. what courses have I been on? What has L&D provided for me? And I'm not saying that's wrong. In fact, I think it's probably right, but they would beat us then with that stick that we've not taken people out of the classroom, not put them on that training course. Mm. Whereas actually, if we ask more questions around how supportive is your learning environment to help you, perf- at your work environment to help you perform at your very best, mm. you know, what coaching do you receive that enables you to 
perform at your very best? Those kind of questions, I think, that camp more in the 20 and the 70 space mm. should absolutely be where we are. So when I said to you before around the context changing, you know, we haven't done lots of formal training. Yes, we have to get people set up with things like the tech. But then when it came to those meetings that that we started, the you know, the virtual internal meetings or starting to speak with our customers externally, it's all learning on the job, right? Yeah. So how do we then put groups of learners together to talk around, well, how does it work when your camera goes off or where you can't share the content and you can't then see the customer while you're sharing the content? These kind of conversations. Mm. And I don't know the answer any more than the learner knows the answer, but by getting them together, sharing what's working for each other, I think that's been what's given us the biggest step up in our ability to use this technology. Mm. Um, because if you make it optional for people, you know, you can either choose to drive 100 miles to see that customer or you can engage with them through WebEx or whatever technology you know, different organizations use. Um, I think I wouldn't say we had resistance at the beginning, but I think if people can't get their head around how to do something that's new to them, often this sort of defense barrier comes up. So how do you create an environment where learning by things that don't go right, learning by uh, what works for you, and then building that out very quickly, but people have built a much higher level of confidence. And, you know, I genuinely think our role in L&D, and I'm sure, sure we'll get on to talk about that, is when normality does sort of begin creeping back, whatever normality looks like, what don't we want to return to? Do you know yeah. what I mean? I think that's our role to, to interrupt some of that. Um, and I think it is just habit and comfort of going back to a world in which feels more familiar. But it frightens me actually how quickly things change, you know, whether it's kids homeschooling or whether it's conversations you're having in and out of work where, you know, 12 weeks ago, some of the conversations people were having, how the last 12 weeks has all of a sudden felt quite normal for people. So I think there's a, a big role for learning and development to what do we want to hold on to? What do we want to return to and kind of make some active choices about that? Mm. I think that uh, the, the, what you've just described there, I I, um, I see um, one of the the things that, that learning and developments are guilty of is scaffolding the learning experience. Uh, and what they mean by that a lot of the time is in making sense of the learning offering, which is some classroom training plus some e-learning plus some available content, it's glued together in a way to make sense mm -hmm. and then sell to people. But of course, that's a transaction that is incredibly infrequent, infrequent in the world of the people that we're seeking to influence. Uh, I mean, how, how often do you get a, right, okay, so... Um, I, I'd like to learn. I'd like to see what you've got on management. Ah, so we've got this classroom. We, then you could do this e-learning. Then you could take a look at this content, right? So that's, that is an um, give me exposure to what you've got around a topic. But mm -hmm. if we flip this and saw our role as scaffolding the work experience, then what we do is we seek to understand mm -hmm. what it is that people are trying to do, give them guidance and support to help them in unfamiliar situations as they face those challenges and recognize they actually learn when they're doing the stuff. And then what we do mm. is we see that our value increases to an incredible degree. And then we're able to, to talk in terms of effort and outcomes rather than this one where we see ourselves as Elliot Macy once described as publishers, where we make this stuff available. And then what we say is, yeah, we're trying to push a self-directed learning culture, which, which is which has taken us down a different kind of road. And then we measure that in terms of hits on a website, but we're nowhere near where the work is being done 
to equate mm. our effort and investment in actual results and uh, and outcome. Um, which does lead me on. Um, why, um, why on earth should we uh, wait uh, until we're too much later? I'd love to know what you said <laughs> then. Um, what, what, you know, we're a few months um, uh, into lockdown, subsequent easing, but it feels like longer, as I mentioned earlier. If I were to ask you then, as uh, in your own words, what do you not, what do you, what don't you want us to return to? What would you then say? Do you, do you mean for L&D as a profession or do you mean kind of as a business? I would love to know from both uh, for you, if we could ground this in yeah. your experience and then go to L&D, I'd love that. So, so in my own experience, it is about just returning to what we kind of feel familiar. So mm. whether that's working patterns, so I'll start there. So kind of a, a one day a one day a week, we afford people the opportunity to work from home. I mean, we we have an incredibly flexible and trusting homework culture at GSKMB. So I don't think that that for us will need to shift too much. But I, I think what I'd love managers to be doing is talking around uh, productivity during the last mm. 12 weeks. So what have you really struggled to be able to do? What have you actually found easier to do in the way that you've been operating? So I've been running a few sessions, you know, it's no, um, no rocket science. It's things like stop, start, continue with management teams around what do we want to hold on to? I think it also helps when people are keen to add to their start or continue list things that have had to drop during lockdown. So, mm. of course, we, we inevitably arrive at that. Well, what, what can we stop? Because you can't start and continue things unless you actually let go of some stuff. And as a business, we've found that all of our effort, commitment to looking after people's um, you know, our, our package, I suppose, is called energy for performance and resilience. So how do we, how can we look after the whole individual? I think we have in the main done a pretty good job of that. I think when you then add in the complexity of returning to a physical workspace, either more quickly than somebody feels that they want to, or it doesn't add anything to their productivity, that's where I'd love us to be really supporting people harder in that transition if there needs to be one. And if there doesn't need to be a transition, then kind of making it a more norm for people. Mm. Um, I just want to go back to something you said before the, the actual question, which was around um, the, way, the way people perceive the role of learning and development. Actually, I, I know this is probably a fairly controversial thing to say, but I don't think that that, what you said, mm is alien to our learners. They don't really want to be extracted from the workplace to come and do the learning and development course. Um, mm. so in some ways, I think it's learning and development ourselves who have created that view of ourselves. And then the business sort of deem that to be our role. So that's where I think we need to interrupt it much more, really push back and say, do you know what? That face-to-face -face course that we've run once a quarter for the last three years We've actually found that people are able to do the activity that that course is designed to do better by having not attended the course, by creating an experience for them or tagging it onto the work that we're actually expecting people to do. And the net result is their speed to proficiency. And, you know, maybe one useful example very, very recently is our induction to recruitment and then onboarding people. Mm. We've had to change quite significantly how we've done that. And probably just in the part of the business I work, we've, we've uh, inducted half a dozen people during lockdown. Um, 
And then we look at that alongside the kind of standard onboarding program that we'd usually use. You know, you ask people about their experience and I, I have a fairly simple view on onboarding. For me, it's about helping somebody feel like they've joined the right organization and that they feel welcome, number one. And number two, that their speed to proficiency can be accelerated as quick as possible. So if we take those as the two, uh, two objectives of any onboarding program, you know, some of your listeners may think that it's more complicated than that, which I, you know, I know it is too, but I think mm. fundamentally it's those two things. I've asked those six people that have joined questions around that. You know, how have you learned what the culture's like here? Mm. How have you managed to complete some of the mandatory training that you're expected to complete in the early days? How connected do you feel to different people across the team? And, you know, during lockdown, we've gone to a, a twice a week whole team check-in. We used to do either two or two or three whole team meetings a year. So if we talk about connectivity across teams, surely that's improved now if we're having two a week rather than two, you know, two a year. So I think for people that have been new to the organization, and I just use onboarding as an example, for me, that is one area that we should really look hard at what we used to do, how we've been doing it during lockdown, and what's the perfect blend between those two things. And if they mm. achieve those two objectives, I've said before, then my goodness me, let's hold on to them. And it all comes down to, with uh, uh, certainly from my perspective, Rob, is understanding what we're trying to achieve. So, so you said that about induction. Now, um, if we were clear that the problems that we needed to solve with induction were that um, people feel overwhelmed. Um, they don't know where to get the right stuff. They don't know how to get the right stuff done, and they don't know how um, uh, how the organisation works or who to go to. Then you can solve those. Uh, I mean, the, if I could tell you what I think is the least effective way of addressing any of that is within the first two or three hours of somebody joining, show them all the slides of everything yep. that you need them to know, um, and then send them on their way to to complete their compliance training after maybe yep. after they've had a lunch with their with their team. That is the least effective way of addressing it. But if you frame your induction as we need you to know this and then your slides are the answer to that, then that feels like the most appropriate solution. But if you go back to, as you mentioned there, um, being realistic about what you can achieve with induction and couple that with what it is that people struggle with without any help, say more, say predictably and reliably, you could find that you are... Uh, providing people with um, short how-tos over the period mm -hmm. of, say, two, three, four weeks, maybe even longer, that address what you anticipate they will be experiencing. Again, scaffold their transition experience rather than mm -hmm. just deliver an induction program. But going back mm -hmm. to what you said earlier as well uh, about um, people don't want training. Now, um, I, I think that there's a slightly contradictory element here, which is People want the stuff that's going to help them when they need it. Google has set an, uh, an expectation, I think, that when you need information or know-how, you could just pretty much go there, everything except how your organisation works. So, so it totally mm -hmm. misses any of that context. So I think that people do want uh, help in unfamiliar situations and as they face challenges, but they do also like programmes. But I think that in learning and development, we have misconstrued this popularity element Often because what we do to say, what we ask people is, do you prefer classrooms or do you prefer e-learning? Oh, my word. If you <laughs> if you to replace classroom training with being uh, kicked up the backside, I choose kicked up the backside. Right? If you have replaced kicked up the backside with eating butter beans, 
I'd eat butter beans over do e-learning. But so what we've done is we're asking people whether they like one thing over the other and the other one is incredibly unpopular. But also when you say to people, you know, would you like to go on a course? A lot of the time people go, yeah, right. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. But we, then we don't seek to understand why. I think that deep down they know that that won't help them. That won't help them with anything they've got pressing right now. But it's always quite nice to go on a course. But we've got to stop ourselves doing something because it's popular and stick to the stuff because it works. You can add some popular stuff as long as you don't dress it up as, as something else. Uh, Tracy at Sky does this brilliantly, recognising that, that people want to go on training because it helps to build relationships. It helps with recuperation from work, taking the time mm. out. It's a bit of a, a, a reward as well. But she doesn't dress it up as training. You know, mm. you know, people need that and want that and it's popular and they give that to them as something else. But but you don't dress it up and uh, and think it's something yeah. else. We're in learning and development. You go back to, you know, you uh, what did you call it? it was was it wizardry? Um, was it a, witchcraft. Uh, witchcraft? Witchcraft. Yeah. Let's not dress this up or believe some of uh, some of the witchcraft. Um, there are there are more effective ways of doing things than than the popular and the uh, and the status quo. Did that, did, did that did, make I, sense, Rob? <laughs> it, 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 it did, and I felt a bit bad as you uh, recited my term witchcraft because I don't want to do a disservice to what I think we we all do to our very best ability. Mm. I think it's when we default to trying to teach people what we mean by learning agility or yeah. um, teaching them adult uh, adult learning theory or professing about 70, 20, 10. That's all great stuff, but that's mm. for us to know, right? Yes. And then that is for us to know how people learn best and create those experiences. So I, I just think that some of the standard way of working which we know does not always work but mm. we've continually scheduled because we've always done it or the business expects it i would just urge any l d function to look at productivity on some of those different areas of work so if it's onboarding you know let's pick that i talked about it a little bit let's look at what's really worked for us in the last 12 weeks there'll be some stuff that we want to return to got no doubt about it mm. but i guarantee we have brought that forward um, helped people feel part of the business more quickly mm. because of the connectivity that we've given them through virtual channels now. And yeah, the, you know, we've got some people that have worked for the organization now for 12, 14. In fact, if I was to count the weeks back, it's probably more, um, who have never physically visited the office in which everybody else ordinarily works. Well, yeah. does that mean they feel less connected? I don't think so. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to do what we call an after action review with those guys. And I think a lot of what they share back with us, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to do, especially around how they learn about the culture here at Beeb. Mm. You know, we're very, very passionate about leaving no patient living with HIV behind. And everybody in the organization has this kind of incredible patient focus. And if you can feel that through a TV screen, you know, of 12 weeks of virtual meetings, you haven't needed to visit the kind of physical space to kind of create that feeling. And I think too often offices um, will have written up their values or, you know, their whatever that, whatever your organization each call them. Mm. That doesn't mean that they truly exist in that organization. I think it's the way people behave and those new starters asking people to interview people that have been in business sort of five years or three years or 10 years, just giving them a broad array of people across different functions, getting them to ask, in their experience, what's it like to work here? They get it from the horse's mouth, you know, and mm. the, the big upside is that they're positively influencing 
the existing business they're joining by showing an interest in areas like culture. You know, mm. what would you like to see change? What do you want to see kept? And all of these questions are ones that I'm asking our new starters to ask people who have been in the business a long time because they bring the, the unique perspective that um, everybody who's been around there too long never ask ourselves. So mm. I think there's oodles of opportunity to, to interfere with standard practice. I think role of L&D organization development, talent leadership, and OD more broadly is about changing the way we operate to enable the business to either run faster, drive efficiency. Um, and, you know, the onboarding example is just one, but I think we should stop and pause on a lot of our standard work mm. and uh, not come up with the numbers, but I think sometimes we need to justify it to, to more senior people how a new way of working can add incremental value. And if it can, don't just return to what you were doing before. Hold on to it and, and use that as your business case for change. You mentioned earlier when we were talking, Rob, that people haven't had to be told things have changed because everything has changed. What impact has this had on your practice and initiative and perhaps the receptiveness to, uh, to what you're trying to do? So I think what I probably meant by that was, you know, if you've got a very established workforce, sometimes they can be not the hardest to develop, but they're their desire to develop perhaps isn't isn't necessarily as high as maybe learning and development would like it to be. Mm. So, you know, perhaps be interested because in they a, are, Perhaps because they're exhibiting the expected and rewarded behaviours for their role uh, and there's yeah. no real um, uh, motivation for them to, to go. It's not yeah. the, well, the motivation isn't coming from outside. Um, you know, so, uh, so, yeah. I, think it, I think it's to totally that. And they're very competent in their role. You know, mm. they're highly experienced, able to do their role immensely valuable to the organization. I think though, when we're asking them to think about what development they're looking for, again, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, but by flipping that question, they're probably not looking for development. Let's ask them things like, what within your role is really, really holding you back? Or what if you could do 10% better would make the biggest difference to the way you perform? Those types of questions um, are the ones that I think over the years, we've probably all tried to varied degrees of success. Um, but by saying to those people, well, I get that you're happy in the role that you're doing and, you know, you're not looking for development, but what if the world around you is changing? And yeah. let's be honest, it hasn't changed dramatically, you know, maybe a little bit each year, but what we've learned in 2020, um, and who knows what the future holds is that as soon as the world around you changes, people instantly recognize, oh, that's what was meant when somebody said, you know, how do you stay relevant? How do you stay current with what's changing in your kind of in your area of expertise? And just as an example, for people who perhaps were less interested in working in a digital way, they're unable to reach their customers or they're unable to participate in some of the business meetings that we're having if they're not up to speed with that way of working. Mm. So that's what I would say about um the kind of context changing is the world around them has changed. Therefore, you have to adapt. I suppose it's uh, it's it's Darwin theory. Darwin theory, really, isn't it? But mm. what we've learned in 2020 is that the world around all of us has changed. And I think if anybody can hand on heart say the world, the work that they're doing, or at least the way that they're doing that work, hasn't changed, I'd be really interested in in the kind of sphere of work you're involved mm. in because. I, I don't, in the work that I do, come across many people that haven't noticed astronomical change this year. Uh, what you've described there, though, Rob, is, uh, is something I've believed for a while. I, I believe that uh, timeliness of um, uh, our 
uh, interventions is is almost the last bastion of learning and development. If you think that um, uh, all we've all we've really had uh, until very recently are uh, scheduled programs that might run, mm-hmm. say, quarterly, um, and for people to um, uh, to be in a new role or have different expectations to then book and then attend can sometimes take weeks, months, or years before they mm-hmm. are then. Um, given what the organisation sees as the, um, uh, the, the required development. Uh, then what we did is we threw in some generic uh, e-learning and content. And so we said, you can't come on the stuff that, that we feel would be of most value to you. But if you go mining in here, you might find something that helps. Of course, it doesn't speak to your role, your department, uh, any of the the stakeholders that uh, that you actually experience, but there may be something in there that uh, mm. uh, that will help you. But if what we if what we recognise is that um, that expectations have changed, so therefore people are expected to adapt. Couldn't we now recognise that when people are in unfamiliar situations and challenges and facing challenges, say because they've transitioned into or through our organisation into different um, roles and teams? That's mm. when they need their help. So instead of telling people that uh, they need to be curious or they need to buy into our learning culture, how about we tip over into their world and we say to mm. them, you're new to our organisation. Here's all the stuff that, uh, that we think that uh, will be helpful for you on day one about how to get used to the environment. Here's some useful stuff on day two about um, the communication channels we use. Uh, here's some stuff at the beginning of week two about how you influence stakeholders. In- do you know what I mean? So what we do is we actually give these guided experiences based on what it is that people are trying to do. And we do that yep. wherever you are in the organisation that's bespoke to solving the, the the problems that they are actually facing rather than some kind of ivory tower experience mm. they have where you, you attend a programme every two years. And we believe that that experience is enough to keep you going until you attend another program or before you go mining again do, do, do you know what there is so and that's why i love talking to you david because you always <laughs> make me feel better about the work i think our profession should be doing mm. i think there's two bits i just want to make sure um i guess i i wanted to cover one of them and i'll come back to it so please remind me if i say to you uh, i can't remember what the second one was but the first one is um is around how do we create those what I always call kind of learning learning pathways for people. How do we anticipate the challenges that we think they're going to face? Not something that we want them to learn about, but mm-hmm. anticipate the challenge that we think they're going to face and then create an experience. And that could be a piece of reading. It could be a video or it could be somebody in the business that you know of that can help them at that point of need. So I think that's one thing is almost... And I, I remember some some early work um, from Elliot Maisie on this one, which was talking around the role of L and D changing to be more of a curator. Mm. Um, and I think you know we we have all accepted that, and there is so much good stuff out there that our role is largely as a curator. But signposting to people, and I don't necessarily just mean the end learner. I often mean our first line managers, the people that interface with their teams day in day out. I think too often. They not remove themselves from the conversation, but when it comes to development, they'll say, oh, you ought to speak to learning and development because they've probably got some really good stuff on this. So how do we equip the managers to teach their teams to fish at the times that they need to fish in the pools that they need to fish in? So I think that's the first bit is how do we kind of become part of that? And the second one, and I am glad to say I can remember what it was, is how do we help senior management not judge us by the 10% formal learning provision that we put in Mm -hmm. place? So 
I don't think we can um, we can be judged by the number of courses we've run or the bums on seats of those courses. Um, and I think that really is the job of learning and development in the 21st century is how do we convince them if they don't believe it already that that 10% formal training is part of the bigger picture that is going to help mm. that person perform at the very best. Um, and in some ways, it was a, a wonderfully naive old world, wasn't it, where we could just run courses and you know give ourselves a pat on the back when the happy sheet said you know John really enjoyed it and would recommend it to others. Mm. You know, did we ever go back to John and ask him whether he could perform the task that that training was des- designed to deliver any better than he could before? Don't know, but I do know that when I interrogate our LMSs, there are some you know some particularly guilty learning items that perhaps have been visited. 10 times, you know, the, the dreaded mm. presentation skills course that somebody, and this is a true story, had been on 10 times and could still not present to the, yeah. to the level that they wanted to. I honestly don't believe that the course was going to help that person in their yeah. presentation skills, certainly not after the 10th attempt at, at going on it. So they're the sort of examples that I think, you know, when I said about our world changing, it's changing for the, it's changing for the people that we serve in the businesses that we work for. But it's changing for us in L and D. So, uh, so I think you know, just just take a look at the way we've been operating. If it's been closer to the point of need, if it's been closer to helping people perform either more quickly or more productively, I would say hold on to the ways that you've been helping people do that. Don't return to the the kind of ways that perhaps feel more comfortable. Wonderful. Well, I think that that's a uh, a great place to uh, to wrap up there, Rob. Um, if people want to connect with you on social media, how can they do so? So, um, so I'm on LinkedIn. So um, Rob is with two Bs. Um, so just Rob Sayers. Uh, that's my LinkedIn profile. On Twitter, um, just the handle at Rob Sayers. Uh, you can find me on there. But really, really glad to, to talk to you this morning, David. Really appreciate the chance to talk through some of the challenges that we've been facing. And thanks for doing the podcast because I learn a heap from people doing this kind of work. I think it's... Uh, probably increased the stock of learning and development in the past three months. If it hasn't, then, um, you know, I do feel that that's a real opportunity that we've got to, to become an even more valuable part of the businesses we work for. So thanks for the chance to talk about what we've been up to. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, Rob, thank you for being a guest on the Learning and Development podcast. No problem. Thanks, David. This conversation highlights many of the opportunities that have arisen for the people development profession out of some terrible circumstances and amid continuing uncertainty. I hope this has provided some much needed hope and inspiration. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.